bosom and even the ends of the radiant hair melted imperceptibly into the vague yet deep shadow which formed the background of the whole. The frame was oval, richly gilded, and filigreed in moresque. As a thing of art, nothing could be more admirable than the painting itself, but it could have been neither the execution of the work nor the immortal beauty of the countenance which had so suddenly and so vehemently moved me. Least of all could it have been that my fancy, shaken from its slumber, had mistaken the head for that of a living person. I saw at once that the peculiarities of the design, of the vignetting, and of the frame must have instantly dispelled such idea, must have prevented even its momentary entertainment. Thinking earnestly upon these points, I remained for an hour, perhaps, half sitting, half reclining, with my vision riveted upon the portrait. At length, satisfied with the true secret of its effect, I fell back within the bed. I had found the spell of the picture in an absolute life-likeness of expression, which at first startling, finally confounded, subdued, and appalled me. With deep and reverent awe I replaced the candelabrum in its former position. The cause of my deep agitation being thus shut from view, I sought eagerly the volume which discussed the paintings and their histories. Turning to the number which designated the oval portrait, I there read the vague and quaint words which follow. She was a maiden of rarest beauty, and not more lovely than full of glee, and evil was the hour when she saw and loved and wedded the painter. He, passionate, studious, austere, and having already a bride in his art, she, a maiden of rarest beauty, and not more lovely than full of glee, all light and smiles and frolicsome as the young fawn, loving and cherishing all things, hating only the art which was her rival, dreading only the palette and brushes and other untoward instruments which deprived her of the countenance of her lover. It was thus a terrible thing for this lady to hear the painter speak of his desire to portray even his young bride. But she was humble and obedient and sat meekly for many weeks in the dark high turreted chamber where the light tripped upon the pale canvas only from overhead. But he, the painter, took glory in his work which went on from hour to hour and from day to day. And he was a passionate and wild and moody man who became lost in reveries so that he would not see that the light which fell so ghastly in that lone turret withered the health and spirit of his bride who pined visibly to all but him. Yet she smiled on and still on uncomplainingly because she saw that the painter, who had high renown, took a fervent and burning pleasure to his task, and wrought day and night to depict her who so loved him, yet who grew daily more dispirited and weak. And in sooth, some who beheld the portrait spoke of its resemblance in low words, or as of a mighty marvel and proof, not less of power of the painter than of his deep love for her whom he depicted so surprisingly well. But at length, as the labor drew near to his conclusion, 
there was admitted none into the turret, for the painter had grown wild with the ardor of his work, and turned his eye from the canvas rarely even to regard the countenance of his wife. And he would not see that the tints which he spread upon the canvas were drawn from the cheeks of her who sat beside him. And when many weeks had passed, and but little remained to do save one brush upon the mouth and one tint upon the eye, the spirit of the lady again flickered up as a flame within the socket of the lamp. And then the brush was given, and then the tint was placed. And from one moment, the painter stood entranced before the work which he had wrought. But in the next, while yet he grew tremulous and very pallid and aghast and crying with a loud voice, This is indeed life!